Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. All right, we're going to jump into, uh, into the message today. So today's all about home, all right? And, uh, and you know, the, the thing that I love about, about this particular topic is, is whether you have a sign that hangs over your door that says, home sweet home, and that's what you really think about it, or you're like, man, I cannot get away, cannot wait to get away from home. We all have a home in this place, and we all had a home growing up. You have a home now, whether your home has walls or whether it looks like a car or, you know, it looks like a park bench. We all have a home. That's where we call home. It's like home is where you rest your feet, right? <laughs> that's it. And so... Uh, today, we're going to talk about your home, what your home looks like. And uh, when I was growing up, I grew up in a Christian home. And so for me, I grew up with, I don't want to say Christianese, but I grew up with, with Christian culture. How about that? Christian culture. And I, I, I grew up knowing scriptures and seeing them on my walls. And the, the one that almost every single Christian home that I walked into had on their wall in some way, shape, or form was this one. Joshua twenty four fifteen. it says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites, or in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And the last part of that verse is what was, is usually what is found in that verse. And it's, I see lots of heads shaking, lots of bobbleheading going on out here. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, in my house, it was cross-stitch. Did anybody know what cross-stitching is? Yeah, so my mom loved to cross-stitch, and of course, she taught me how to cross-stitch. Look, you're going to find out all kinds of things about me that make me a nerd, and I'm okay with this. I'm fine with it. I loved to cross-stitch. It was between the Game Boy and the cross-stitch. This is how I spent my summer. I loved it. And I'm not going to tell you I was any good at it, but we did have this verse cross-stitched and framed on the wall in my house. And, and so if you didn't grow up with it, if you've ever been into it, just by show of hands, if, you've, if you had it on your wall or if you've ever been to a Christian's house and seen this on the wall, show me your hands. That's the majority of us in this room. So you've seen this verse before. And, and I love what this verse says. Look, the, the verse is saying here, Joshua made a choice for his home. And it's a choice that many Christians identify with or associate with. It was, his choice was for his household to serve one God only, to worship one God only. A choice against idolatry and for faithfulness. It was, regardless of the choices of others, Joshua's wife and kids knew that Joshua was going to lead them in this path to serve God because he made a choice. And the challenges of Joshua's day are, are no different than ours today, right? We still live in, live in a world that's very much like his, and we have to choose to live according to God's design for us in our homes and our families. The question is, is Christ the head of your household? Is he uh, the unseen guest at every meal or the, the silent listener to every conversation? Like, are you aware of God in your home in these kind of ways? Because he is there. Just looking at America, uh, one of the number one issues in America that, that people have continued to point at is the breakdown of family or the home, right? It's the, it's the number one thing. Our homes are described as dysfunctional. Right? And if that's the case, if, if society is pointing and saying that is our number one problem, why aren't we all individually 
spending more time at fixing this in our own home. And I don't mean pointing at other people and saying, you're dysfunctional, you need to fix it. I mean going home, opening the scriptures and saying, how can I fix my dysfunctional home, right? Well, we don't like when we talk like that. It's easier to point at other people, right? It's certainly easier to say, your house is, you, you, this is what's wrong in yours. But Jesus was telling us, hey, go, go get the plank out of your eye before you talk about the speck in your neighbor's eye, right? Boom. I, saw, I just saw you do it. He was like, boom. That was it. That was it. And so why don't we do this? You know, it's not just that we see dysfunction in our own home. We also see dysfunction in our culture, and it's all over our TV. In fact, I'm going to bet that you all have a favorite TV show that has a dysfunctional family in it. So I want you to take 30 seconds. I want you to turn to your neighbor, to the right or to the left, and tell them your favorite TV dysfunctional family. Go for it now. All right, what are we saying out there? What are we hearing? What'd your neighbor say? What is it? Modern family. All right, yeah. What is it? Okay. Roseanne. Yeah, the Roseanne Barr family. There you go. Talk about dysfunction. We say that's the image of it. Anybody else? The Simpsons. Yeah, the Griffith. The Griffiths or Griffins? The family guy. Family guy. There you go. Any others? My name is Earl. Very dysfunctional. Yes, indeed. Indeed. But what about some reality shows? How about the Kardashians? You know, even though, even though we, we idolize them and we, we celebritize them and say, those guys are awesome, the Kardashians are a very dysfunctional family. Just completely dysfunctional. Uh, not, and I'm not judging them, but even the Huxtables. The Huxtables were dysfunctional. They had a lot of... It, it's, 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 we'll talk about what dysfunction is in a minute, because as soon as I said that, some of you guys were like, no, that was a wholesome show. No, what we laughed at every week was their dysfunction. That's what we laughed at, right? And so, so yeah, it's, you're right. Yeah, I have that on my list. Sanford and Son, absolutely. Ozzy and Harriet, I Love Lucy, Leave it to Beaver. You're like, huh, you're really going to have to think about it. But that's what we looked at every week was their dysfunction. And we learned to laugh at it. And maybe, maybe that's why we don't do anything about it in our house. Because we look at it and, and they make us laugh. Maybe, I don't know. It's just a suggestion. Ronald Reagan said this about family. He said, the family has always been the cornerstone of American society. Our, family nurture, our families nurture, preserve, and pass on to each succeeding generation the values we share and cherish. Values that are the foundation for our freedoms. In the family, we learn our first lessons of God and man, love and discipline, rights and responsibility, human dignity, and human frailty. Man, you got to love Ronald Reagan, don't you? I couldn't have said it better. Can we finish now? We're done? Yeah, no. But, but what is the condition of our modern family? What, what is our current condition? Well, I'll tell you what it is. We're distracted. We are so distracted. Look, I can walk into my house on any given day and not be acknowledged. Why? Because the TV is on, somebody's on Facebook or Instagram or Vine or whatever it is that they're, they're on. The, the kids are, are in their devices playing their games or texting, or chatting, or phone calling, whatever. We are a distracted generation. We are. We, we don't even acknowledge the people in, in, the, in the house. Uh, in, in Isaiah, it says that we're, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. That's distraction. We are focusing on what's important to us. 
and not in what's, the world, what, what's in the world around us. The other thing is we're, we're disrespectful, but, or I'm sorry, we're divided. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart, is what Mark 3.25 says. What divides us? Jealousy, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness. These are the things that divide a family. If you think about the divisions that are in your family, maybe it's not in your immediate home. Maybe it's with a brother, a mother, a father, sister, cousin, somebody that you are divided against. If it's in your own home, these are likely the suspects. And we're disrespectful to each other. Completely disrespectful. In Titus 3.3, speaking of how we were before Christ, it says that we used to be stupid, disobedient, and foolish, as well as slaves of all sorts of desires and pleasures. We were evil and jealous. Everyone hated us, and we hated everyone. We were disrespectful. Husbands disrespect their wives. Children disrespect their parents. Mothers disrespect their, their kids. We disrespect their need for love, understanding, space, individuality, and grace and mercy. On a regular basis. Why? Why these things? Because we're selfish. That's what it really comes down to. These things all happen because we're selfish. Because it's all about me. Distracted says, I'm going to give my attention to what interests me. Divided says, I deserve this. And you're not giving it to me, so we're going to feud. We're going to quarrel. We're divided. Disrespectful is, you don't deserve this. We're selfish. And this leads to dysfunctionality. What is dysfunction? Well, James 3, 14 through 16 says, But if you are bitterly jealous... And there is selfish ambition in your heart. Don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Folks, we're, we're just talking about within your own home. This is happening because of your selfish ambition. A dysfunctional family is one that is functioning dangerously. The word dis, or the, the, the D-Y-S in function, dysfunctional, means danger. It is a dangerously functioning family. Why is it dangerous? Who is it affecting? Dangerous for who? Well, for the kids. One study found that children of dysfunctional homes have behavior problems, find it more difficult to adjust, make lower grades, have a higher dropout rate from high school, and a higher rate of pregnancy out of wedlock. Who else does it affect? Husbands and wives, domestic violence between spouses, divorce or worse, no peace in the home, a cold and uncaring atmosphere where love is not found, or as, even as society as a whole. It's dangerous because half the people arrested this year were under the age of 25. Since 1965, juvenile crime rate has soared at 175% of what it used to be. As families become dysfunctional, there's a threat to our nation's well-being. So why the dysfunction? What is it we are unwilling to do that causes the dysfunction? What's, what, what's at the root of those things? And I think there's four things that you and I, and I include me in it, we're unwilling to do. Here's the first thing. We need to establish house rules and roles. 
Clearly defined roles and expectations are what we need in our homes. As a Christian, let me tell you where you say, well, how do I know that? Well, as as a Christian, I'm going to tell you where you find that. It's a place that, that I know Tim loves to go. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. You want to know how you're supposed to live as a Christian? Just go there. Let me give you some examples. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. This establishes your roles and expectations, folks. This, this is one of the expectations. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We can stop right there. How does God behave? Well, he loves. And we're supposed to imitate that. The way that he loves, how he loves, how much he loves, the depth of his love. That's how we're supposed to behave. And he calls us his children. As children, you know, we, we say to our kids, hey, don't do as I do. But you understand that it's monkey see, monkey do, right? And that's how it's supposed to be with us. I'm not calling us all monkeys, but I'm just saying. When you look at scripture and you say, oh, okay, that's what the top monkey did. Monkey do, that's what I'm going to do. We have to find ways to be obedient to this. And so he says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God, excuse me, God as a fragrant aroma. In other words, when, you, when we do this, he goes, mmm, they're cooking something good at home. You guys, anybody like to walk into a house where there's good cooking? You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, yeah, this is, this is the place to be. It's the same way when we treat each other with love. People can feel that. It's a fragrant aroma to God. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 22 through 30. This speaks to husbands and wives. I know I've, I've even preached this series. I'm not going to expound too much on this. If you want to know more about the roles of husbands and wives, there's a whole series, five-week series we did called Love, Marriage, Baby Carriage. Go listen to the podcast. They're available on our websites or on iTunes, okay? it's my little plug. Ephesians 5, 22 through 30. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. Do you feel like I need to unpack that a little bit for you? We're supposed to love each other. The same way that Jesus loved the church. Husbands are to love their wives. Wives are to love their husbands. The same way it's an exchange. We are called to lay down our lives, which is what Jesus did. Yes, Jesus died for us. But you understand the, the bigger picture is that Jesus laid down his life of glory in heaven and became something for us. He became a man for us. What are you becoming for your spouse? Who are you becoming for them to meet their needs, to love them, to be a blessing to them? Ephesians goes on to establish the roles and expectations that we are to have. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Look, the parent has to be the parent. The child has to be 
the child. The husband needs to be the husband. The wife needs to be the wife according to the way that God has called us to be. It's funny, though. I, it, it's uh, Edward. Uh, he's a, the Duke of Windsor. Said this about American culture. The thing that impresses me most about America is the way parents obey their children. <laughs> oh, think about that for a second. That's our current culture. But that's not what your scripture says. Children, obey your parents. It's not the other way around. And we need to figure out what that looks like in our lives and submit. The second thing we're not willing to do is we're not willing to have a strong commitment to one another. This brings dysfunction into our family. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, When you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. This requires a commitment on your part. A commitment to one another. What we, what we think this means when we hear being interested in somebody's life is that you, uh, you spent time liking some of their posts on Facebook and that you hearted all of their Instagram photos <laughs> and that you spent an hour creeping on someone's wall yesterday. I See, I'm interested. But, but, but that's, not, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about. What it actually means is getting involved in their lives. What it means is when we're interested in something, we throw ourselves completely into it. Almost in a way, not almost, every time in a way that is sacrificial. Anybody ever watch Lost? Did anybody watch Lost after it came out on Netflix? Anybody? Maybe 24? No, you guys all watched it in real time. You guys are awesome. I didn't watch Lost until it came out on Netflix. And what I did was, and, and you did as well, you were interested in Lost. And for those, who, who actually watched it when it played live? Anybody here? Okay, so a few of you. Your favorite TV show, your favorite series. Just think of that then when I'm talking about Lost here, okay? And you understand. You throw yourself in it completely. Oh no, my show comes on on Tuesday night. This is the way it used to be. Now we just record it and we play it anytime we want. But it used to be, hey, Tuesday night, 8 o'clock, this is where I'm going to be. I'm watching Lost. You arranged your life. It's what you were interested in. You would sacrifice going out and hanging out with somebody or spending time or doing the laundry or whatever it is. Those of you that wise learn that you can watch a show and do the laundry at the same time. Just saying. I do it. But you sacrificed so that you could be available for that thing that you're interested in. You throw yourself in it completely. See, when I watched Lost, I got hooked. And you all know how long that season was. Was it five seasons? Five seasons? Each episode about 40 minutes long, and there was, what, like 20 episodes a season? Okay, I watched all that in two weeks. Do the math, and let me bear my shame. But I was interested. (laughs) I was in. Hook, line, and sinker. I sacrificed time. I sacrificed hobbies. I sacrificed sleep. I would be up until 2 or 3 in the morning because nobody was bothering me. Nobody said, Dad, 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 Aaron, 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 Dad, Dad. None of it. At 2 o'clock in the morning, nobody's bothering me. But I sacrificed what we're interested in. So when you're really showing interest in someone else's life, it's going to require sacrifice on your part. It is a commitment to do that, to give up what you want. It's to release some of that selfishness. It's, just what, it's going to cost you that. It's going to cost you some of the things that you are interested in. Yet we, we won't offer this same kind of interest to people. We don't know what they're going through in our own homes. In our, in our you know, 1,800 square foot home or 24, whatever you live in, in your world, that box, that place you call home, 
you don't know what's going on with the people in it because you're only chasing after what you're interested in. You don't know what they're celebrating. You don't know what they're grieving over. You don't know what's broken their heart. You don't know what makes them happy. You don't know them. Because you're, you're chasing after your own path. And we're not willing to let go of some of our interests so that we can be interested in others. But family is not an important thing. It's everything. It's everything. And God has called us to make it as such. The third thing we won't do, that we refuse to do, is be consistent and considerate communication. Consistent and considerate communication. Think about that. Do you use each other's names when you talk to each other? Now for me, I call my wife Freckles during the summertime. Well, what's up, Freckles? Because she freckles in the sun. Now my wife doesn't find that offensive. Look at her. She's just gl- glowing over there because she thinks, it's, she thinks freckles are cute as a button. But if she didn't like that, that would be demeaning to her. And, and me to continue to call her freckles would be, would be putting her down, would be constantly reminding her of something she didn't like about herself. She likes her freckles, and so do I. I call her freckles. I also got that from Lost. Here you go. There's your connection. <laughs> he called her freckles, didn't he? Yeah. Back to Ephesians 4. It says... It says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. This is our responsibility in our home, folks. It's not to be the guy that walks into the room. Some of you guys just want to tear people down. You want to walk in the room and you want to make everybody feel lower than you. You want to call them names. You want to pick on their weight. You want to pick on their hair. You want to pick on their zits, their freckles, whatever. You want to pick on them and make them look like they're lower than you. But really what you're doing is revealing that you're lower than them. Just so you know. That's what's happening. But I want you to think about how you address people when you walk into that room. You say, what's up, Stretch? You're either saying that to somebody who's tall or somebody who's short. Either way, it could be demeaning. Maybe the person who's tall is, in, is, is you know, insecure about their height. I don't know. I'm just saying, think about how you're communicating to somebody. It's a responsibility to do that, to be considerate. When I was a kid, I was called Captain Calories. I was husky. I wore the husky clothes. I was called Captain Calories. I was called dumb. I was said about me that I was clumsy, that I had no common sense. And while some of these things may be true or were true about me, even in them being truths, they were discouraging to me. They were discouraging. They were things that, that broke me further and didn't encourage me or help me along that way. And so it wasn't the encouragement I needed. The fourth thing we won't commit to is having an authentic relationship with Jesus. And this, my friends, is what causes our dysfunction. 1 John 4.19 says, We love each other because he loved us first. What an amazing thing to say. <laughs> That the love that I'm talking about, the things that we're talking about that we won't give, flows from a place of love. And it starts with loving Jesus because he loved you. And, and oftentimes we don't understand that. Paul the Apostle writes, and you see him over and over again praying for the churches that he started. And he said, I'm praying for you that you understand the depth of God's love for you. Why? Because when you understand it, you love people the way that he loved you. It transforms you to understand and know the love of Jesus. But we're not willing to open our Bibles to read that. We don't even know that's in the Bible because we won't spend time doing it, whether that's five minutes a day or once a week or ever. 
As Christians, we, we just don't get in there and read it. We don't know his love. Now, maybe we've experienced it through forgiveness and we've experienced it through, through circumstances and relationships. But do you know it? Do you know the depth of his love? Do you understand it? And when you do, you can, you can find yourselves in positions like I find myself all the time with my family. In my own home, I am frustrated with them. When they don't do what I ask them to do, or they disobey, and I, and I don't mean my wife on that one. She's, I, I mean my children. Or when they've left something undone, or left their dishes on, I'm, I'm frustrated. And I'm like, oh, and I get angry. But you know what? The Holy Spirit speaks to my heart, and he says, what if I need you to love them despite this? Oh, and I go, oh, that's the way Jesus loves me. And that's the way I have to love them. And I repent in that moment. And my attitude changes. And I, with joy, pick up the dishes. Or clean up the clothes. Or pick up the toothbrush. Or whatever. It's an inside story. You'll have to know. Go back to the marriage, the marriage one. What if, what if he needs you to love people despite how they're treating you? That's what he's called us to do, folks. But we won't commit to this. We won't commit to that authentic relationship with Jesus. Jesus is graceful, merciful, patient, kind, forgiving, and so much more. We have to engage in his word for ourselves. Not just on Sundays when I'm telling you. I'm telling you and sharing from my personal experience. I'll tell you stories and bring people up here all day long who are experiencing it. But friends, it's your responsibility to engage in it yourself. It is our job to live in such a way that brings blessings to our home. There's, there's one such story of a very tangible presence of God. And it's, it's in the Old Testament. It's when the Ark of the Covenant was being brought back to Jerusalem. And David said, I'm not re- re- yet ready for this to come back. But we're going to stash it someplace. And so he calls upon this guy. I don't know where they got their names, but his name is Obed-Edom. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. Do I have to hold my pinky out when I say it? I have no idea. But it sounds fancy to me. Got a hyphen and everything in it. And he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stash the Ark of the Covenant here. And he put it there for three months. And you better believe that they were blessed. The, the scripture says that, that the Ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Why? Because for the three months, this is why I believe, for the three months, the most awesome symbol of God's presence was seated in his house. He was aware of of the, the actual presence of God there. And he behaved differently. Sometimes we think, oh, well, how is blessed? Like, did his cattle multiply? You know, did he get more money? What is blessing to you? Look, blessing is peace. Blessing is joy. Blessing is, is so many things that money can't buy. Okay? And every day for three months, they were aware that God was living with them and lodging in their lounge. And when God's presence is welcomed and encouraged, a home is truly blessed. What was inside of, of the, the Ark of the Covenant what was, um, was the, the, uh, the law. This is, this is God's word. We keep God's word in our house. It was the manna that was given to them in the desert. This is God's provision. And the third thing was Aaron's but, rod that budded. And that reminds us of God's leadership in our home. When these three things are present, our home is blessed. So, so what do we do? How do we fix the dysfunction? How do we drive out this dysfunction in our home? I'll tell you, we, we have to have God's input in order to do it. You've got to say, 
there's so many experts running around that say, well, this is the way you ought to do it, especially as a parent. We're going to do a parenting series later on this year, and we're going to, we're going to get into what the, the scriptures say. But, but as a parent, we are constantly seeking the experts and saying, what do we do? How do we do this? How do we raise our kids? What's the right way to do this? Because we, we don't know. But the Bible specifically outlines God's original design for the family. It's there. It's all there. And as long as we live according to his will, we can avoid the world's less than perfect lifestyle and live in his perfect peace. Oh, peace is a wonderful thing in your home. If you don't have peace, it's what you want. If you've had peace before, you know how great it is. If you have peace now, you are celebrating. Peace is good in the home. It doesn't mean everybody's quiet and taking a nap. (laughs) It's different, but that can be peace. Look, we have, to, we have to make the word of God the final authority in our home. Arguments and divisions have to be squelched with a higher authority than our opinions or emotions that are out of control. Period. We have to turn to God's word and say, what does it say? And when we find out what it says, we have to obey. That's our responsibility. Proverbs 3.6 says, In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. How do we do this? How do we submit? I'm going to give you five E's. This is what a pastor does. We give five E's or three P's or, you know, this is their five E's. How you can submit yourself to God. Because we, we oftentimes don't know what that means. All your ways submit to him. Okay, that sounds great. That, that, how do I do that? Here, here's what you need to do. And, 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 and the first thing is exalt God in your home. In other words, put, put God first. Put him first. Make sure he's first and your home that your family knows God is first and that you are following him first. The second thing you can do is exemplify Christ-likeness in your home. You be like Jesus first. Whether your husband or your wife or your children are on board, it doesn't matter. You do it first. If you're sitting here today, you do it first. Be Jesus in your house. Second thing you can do is encourage faithfulness in your home what does that mean be faithful to this commitment that you have and when you haven't and aren't faithful to your commitment to christ to to exemplify that or to be that example of christ repent go to the person that you've broken go to the person you've sinned against and say i sinned against you please forgive me can we can we be restored encourage that and encourage the commitment because when people fail and you forgive them it encourages them to start again Be an encourager. The next thing is, the fourth thing, educate your children in God's ways in your home. Speak to them about the word of God. You know, in my kid's bathroom, I print out Proverbs and I hang them on on their mirror. And I read them to them and I share them with them. I share them about how a wise man avoids certain things and how what lying does. All the things that Proverbs talk about, I pull out and I don't just hand them the whole book. The kids. I hand it to them a verse at a time. But the main ones I hand them on a regular basis is, children, listen to your parents. We know what we're talking about. Receive my instructions. Don't be a fool. Educate your kids. There's, they can hear it. And the more they hear it, the more it becomes ingrained in them. Whether they're listening to it now, someday they may. That's your hope. Give it to them. The fifth thing you can do is establish godly values in your home. Look, determine what your values are. There are some people, my pastor Conan from C3, he has his family values printed on his wall. 
And they say, what are the Conan family values? And his kids can rattle them off because they see them every day before they walk out of their house. What are your family values? You can ask some of my kids, what are our family values? We value truth. We value relationships. They, they can tell you what we value because we talk about them. Establish your values because you live your life according to your values. What's most important to you? And when you start living contrary to that, you get to go, man, that's not what I value. I need to, I need to, I need to cut that. You want to drive dysfunction from your home? This is the way to do it. You know, the invitation today is to do exactly what Joshua did. And that is to choose this day. Choose for yourself, for your family. Choose to serve the Lord. A home that is a blessing to all who enter, whether family, friend, or stranger, doesn't just happen. It is a choice. It is a choice that you make. So what does your home say about your choices? And if we realize that home is based on our choices, can we choose to do something different? Let's pray today. You know, if you're here today and you say, Aaron, I came from a broken home and I've carried that dysfunction into my home now. But I want to choose this day to do something different. I want to choose to drive this from my home. If that's you and you want to make that commitment, nobody's looking around. If you'd raise your hand and let me know you're here, I want to pray for you. Say, I want to drive this dysfunction from my home, from my life. As a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a brother, as a sister. Thank you. There's hands all over this room. I appreciate you. Thank you. I want to drive it. And there's some of you that say, you know, Aaron, I don't even know Jesus. I don't even know what you're talking about. But if you're here today and you want to make that commitment to Jesus, whether you've made that commitment before and and walked away from it, or you want to make it again today, I want to call to you. If you're here and you'd like to make that commitment, say, Jesus, be Lord of my, my life, and furthermore, be Lord of my home. If that's you and you're here today and, and you'd like to make that commitment, would you raise your hand and let me know that you're here? Thank you for your hands. I appreciate that honesty. For those of you that raised your hand, we're going to pray. And I would like, I would invite everybody in this room to pray out loud so that your own ears can hear it. You say, well, Aaron, I don't really believe this yet. That's okay. Someday you will. You can practice, okay? So here's what we do. We all pray out loud together. There's no reason anybody should pray by themselves. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you came and died and rose again. And that you did all of that as an expression of love for me. Show me how I'm supposed to live my life. And I'll spend every day doing just that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to pray for the rest of you that raised your hands initially, and we're going to close. But I challenge you. Choose today. Father, I pray for those that raised their hands and even those that that felt fear and trepidation of eyes on them and didn't raise their hand, but in their hearts they were straining with their hand high in in the air. God, I pray that as they choose you as Lord of their life and of their home, and as they endeavor to drive dysfunction from their home, Lord, I pray that you would bless that. I know that you will bless that. Make your presence be known in that place. Give them the strength, the boldness. Give them the grace and mercy 
that they are going to need to do this. Lord, and may they be encouraged in their hearts to know that if they fail today, they can fix that. They can repent and start again because your love is there for that. We pray and we ask it in Jesus' name. Lord, change our hearts, change our homes through the choices we will make. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.